Hello, I'm Anna Tenner, a variety staffer at the Odyssey Media Group, and welcome to The Balancing Act. So The Balancing Act is a podcast about teenage feminism and dealing with all the crap that women have to go through. With me is my lovely guest for today, the amazing and smart, my bestest friend in the world, Natalie Schlegelman. Hi, guys. And I'm the digital managing editor for the Odyssey Media Group. And so uh, today, uh, the title of our episode is Internalization, and so we're just going to talk about that. So let's kind of get into it. First, I feel like we should kind of share our definitions of feminism. Um, I, I guess I'll start. I feel like I define feminism as just wanting equal rights for women and men. I feel like that's the most basic um, definition, but then I think going farther than that, just uh, understanding and um, like striving for tolerance between genders and educating yourself on um, issues that have to deal with equity, not even just between genders, but trying to make yourself a more understanding human being. Yeah, I think feminism has always been pretty simple for me. It's just believing that men and women are not necessarily equal, but equitable. You know, they are not exactly the same in all things, but they do deserve the same opportunities in life, the same resources, all that sort of stuff. Another important part of feminism for me is that feminism isn't just women. You can't just, you can't be a white woman who only believes that white women should be lifted up and be a feminist. Feminism includes all races of women, all different gender expressions, people who are in the queer community, all that sort of stuff. Feminism is really just believing that everyone, all women, also all men, deserve the same treatment, and that's the right treatment. You know, if we go backwards and have, go, okay, if they deserve the right treatment, then how about we treat men horribly? That's not really it either. Everyone deserves to be treated the same regardless of their gender or gender expression. Right, right. And so I feel like uh, just for a little bit of clarification, Natalie and I, we've been friends since like sixth grade, best friends since eighth grade. So I feel like I've kind of grown into my feminism with you just because I have really like, I feel like you were one of the first people I really talked about feminism with because it just wasn't at the forefront of my mind. And I feel like that's kind of how I started becoming a feminist. And then another really formative person in my feminist journey was Miss um, Coleman Taylor. Uh, she She's a um, freshman literature teacher here at Clark Central, and she also teaches this amazing course, Women's Literature, Intro to Women's Literature. And so she just opened my mind so majorly, and it just really, really helped me, like, have those resources to really become a better feminist and understand my relationship with my own feminism. Yeah, I think for me, I've always identified as a feminist. I know I hear from some people, I think Anna might even be one of these, like, oh, I used to not think I could identify as feminist because I didn't feel like I was doing enough. For me, it's always been something very simple is that, yes, obviously I'm a feminist because obviously, obviously this is something I believe. For me, being a feminist means... You know, I believe those things that men and women should be treated equally and that I'm striving for that. It doesn't necessarily mean I always have to be the bravest person to speak up in the room or speak up when I think there's something inequitable happening, but I do have to be thinking about that and all that sort of stuff. And I would say 
Miss Coleman Taylor and Miss CT has also been really vital in my journey as a feminist, specifically her intro to women's literature class. Definitely before I took that class, women's place in society was something I thought about a lot. But after taking her class, I realized how many things are just implicit in our society that we don't even really consider that are just really not fair or equitable at all. And a lot of that's like in our media. Whenever I watch a movie or a TV show or read a book or any of that kind of stuff, I can be immediately found turning to the nearest person and going, oh, here's why this didn't have good female representation or here's why this had great female representation. There's a couple of books I've read specifically that I can remember. The Gilded Ones, for example, is a really great fantasy book that, and this is very rare among fantasy books, has no girl and girl hate, which in so many books, a really common thing you'll see is girl and girl hate where the main character is like, you know, she's not exactly like other girls and she has this other girl who bullies her and all that sort of stuff. And it just sort of demonizes different aspects of being a woman and pits them against each other and all that sort of stuff. So definitely opening my eyes and realizing how those types of representation were harmful and how not all representation is built equal and some representation can even be harmful was a really important step in me going from just saying, of course I'm a feminist, to actually thinking critically as a feminist and putting that feminism lens on everything I consume. Right, and you kind of touched on this a little bit for a very long time. I didn't think that I was feminist enough because I was like, obviously I believe in equal rights for men and women and all different genders, but I thought because I hadn't, like, say, gone to a protest or I hadn't really done much research, I didn't think that I qualified as a feminist, and I feel like that was kind of a harmful mindset for myself to be in just because... I feel like it limited me and prevented me from really, like, taking that step to do that research to become a feminist, because I feel like if you just kind of label yourself as, like, oh, I'm not this thing, then you're not going to try as hard to become that thing, or at least that's how I saw it in my own mind, but I feel like just once I got over that hurdle, and especially in Intro to Women's Lit, taking that class, I was like, oh, I am definitely a feminist and now I I do kind of I've gotten a lot better about consciously thinking oh this is good or bad representation and sometimes it does take a little bit more foresight for me just because I feel like I can be kind of an optimistic reader and just like everything I'm reading or consuming but um trying to get over that and trying to be like okay I'm gonna look at this a bit more critically that's definitely what I'm working towards And I think that idea you said earlier about how, oh, you have to be doing these things and you have to be enough of this to be a feminist is one of the most harmful ideas around feminism. Feminists, who people who call themselves feminists and then put down other people and say, you aren't doing enough or you aren't doing this in the right ways, is one of the most harmful things to feminism or to activism in general, is telling other people that they have to fit these hurdles even to be worthy to call themselves someone who's trying to fight against that. Because if we define and put these limits on what you, what the bare minimum you have to do for to be, well, obviously there's a bare minimum, but putting these limits on, are you really even trying if you're not, you know, going to the women's protests and all that sort of stuff is a very elitist, very like, very exclusive form of feminism and saying that it blocks out all these people who could be able to make that movement a lot stronger. And I think that also is part of what can contribute to men being hesitant to call themselves feminists, because 
I think they obviously they will lack a sort of uh, point of view of being able to be like, oh, I experienced this form of discrimination or this form of oppression that they won't experience. So they'll, they won't have that like experience to draw on when they're talking about feminism. But I think if even somebody like me that is identifies as female and was like, I am very in tune with my femininity and I still didn't consider myself a feminist for a very long time, it's a lot harder, I think, to find like men and male-identifying people that will like actively identify as a feminist. Yeah, and even if every single woman on the planet identifies as feminist, that's only 50% of the earth. And unfortunately, we do really need men who are willing to help lift us up because it's a lot more difficult for the, I guess, oppressed underdog type, the those people to lift themselves up without some help from the people who are doing all right. And that is not to say that men can... We need men for feminism, but it is a thing where we need everyone, and it, it's not just a girls-only club. Right. Um, I... So this episode is about internalization, so we wanted to uh, briefly define internalized misogyny because that is a issue that a lot of women specifically face. And uh, just uh, my definition of internalized misogyny is just, it's almost like that, that nagging voice in the back of your head that says, like, oh, pink is too girly, you shouldn't like pink. Why would you want to do that? Or like, it's it's almost similar to when I feel like I was in elementary school, everybody hated Dora because they thought it was a show for babies. It's almost like the feminine version of that, where it's like, oh, I don't like pink, it's too girly. And it's just demonizing femininity and the expression of feminine traits. And it really can turn into something really harmful where like, women think that feminine traits are bad which they aren't and yeah it's just this thing that can grow into almost a monster yeah and I can touch a little bit on my personal experiences with internalized misogyny in a little bit but to me internalized misogyny is pretty much like Anna said this belief or demonization of traditionally feminine traits it's something that turns girls against each other makes them look down on other girls for expressing their femininity or not expressing their femininity in different ways. It's basically just the sexism in society becoming something that's embedded in yourself and something that you see the world through that specific lens of. And it's something that can be really harmful. Right, and there's this... You you kind of said this very briefly, the not-like-other-girls phenomenon, which is just women thinking, like... Or, media kind of saying hey this this main character she's not like other girls she reads books and she wears black and she's rude for some reason and it's it's this phenomena of oh she's not like all the other girls because all the other girls they're dumb and they wear pink and they're all blonde and all they do is party but not this one and just kind of saying like being a stereotypical girl is a bad thing. Yeah, and so much of media, so much specifically middle grade media, portrays that kind of girl as this is the this is good female representation. This is a strong woman. That that's not a strong there's no like set 
set of traits that a strong woman has to have. And one thing that I think is very important for a definition of a strong woman, or at least one that's strong female representation, is one that uplifts other women instead of putting them down. And so much of that media is really defining, oh, these are the things you have to do. This is what you have to do to be considered, you know, good and better and not girly and not like all those sort of lowly things. And I think all of that really does put this thing of you can't be feminine, you have to be masculine, you have to have these traits. And one specific thing about a lot of those is often that's through the male gaze of those books are told. Sometimes they're through female perspectives often, but it's through this thing of, oh, I'm not like other girls because I'm not putting myself out there to be seen by men, but they're just doing it in a different way. It's so much of this perception of, oh, men don't like this, men don't like that. Here, I'm quirky and I, I'm unique and this is what this male protagonist sees in me. And I can talk a little bit about my personal experience with that. I was a huge reader in middle school. I still am, <laughs> elementary school onward. And so much of that middle grade media is about girls who were like me, who were a little quieter, who were bookworms. And I identified with them. And then they would start saying things. The books would all drill in this idea that if you wanted to be if, if you were feminine, if you wore makeup, if you wore crop tops, if you wore any of that sort of stuff, that was bad. You were falling into this trap that society set for you and you shouldn't do that and all that sort of stuff. And I really internalized that a lot. And it took, you know, I definitely was like, I can't wear makeup. I can't drink Starbucks. I can't touch a scrunchie. I can't like the color pink. All of that was super embedded in me. And it's taken years for me. I like wearing makeup. I'm not huge on makeup, but I love eyeliner and I love actually caring about my clothes. I like picking out clothes that make me feel good. I like wearing crop tops. I like dresses and skirts. It's taken me years to get to a point where I feel confident in being able to say those things and feel those things. And even now when I put on a dress and I go somewhere where there's other people not wearing dresses, I feel uncomfortable. I feel this voice in my head going like, oh, they're all judging you because you're wearing something feminine. And that's something that's been a really big journey in me in finding confidence for myself and confidence in my feminism and my femininity is feeling okay with wearing these things that (laughs) books and those sort of media say is bad. Like telling myself it is okay if I care about my clothing. It's okay if I get my ears pierced. It's okay if I wear makeup because so much of that for the longest time I had this mindset that I couldn't do that because I wanted to be like those girls who got magical powers and who were prophesized and were the coolest cool girls and so many of them were like oh you can't do that but you can do all of that and be magical and cool for some reason it was completely mutually exclusive that if you wore pink you were not allowed to ride a horse ever no horses and I feel like I almost had this opposite um experience when I was growing up because I was I loved like pink and glittery things I loved ballet I loved tattoo or tattoos I loved tutus (laughs) I I just loved everything that was like pink and glittery and Barbie stuff I was all about it and I feel like that might have contributed to why I didn't like reading growing up I was like I would read these books where these girls were almost putting down girls that I identified with more I was like oh, I see myself more as the mean girl. That's not really mean at all. Like, you haven't had a conversation with this mean character once. All she does is wear pink and be blonde. But um, I I almost felt, like, weird 
for liking those feminine things and I felt weird for liking pink and liking glitter and frills and whenever a character in a book would say I'm not gonna wear my dress I'm gonna wear pants instead I would be like why (laughs) dresses are so fun you can twirl in them and I feel like there was a time I feel like in like freshman year maybe where I decided oh I'm gonna wear like yoga pants every day and I'm gonna be more like a tomboy because that's what's cool and I think that also was coming off of wearing uniforms in middle school where everybody wore the exact same thing and I was like there were definitely days where I was the only girl that I could see wearing a skirt and I was like why mom why did you only get me exclusively skirts I didn't get any shorts like any uniform shorts until I was in eighth grade and I my mom and I had like arguments about that she was like but the skirts are so cute and you like them I was like yeah but I want to look like everybody else and that's just such a harmful like way to think that you have to wear exactly what everybody else is wearing so you don't seem weird and Everybody, I feel like, deals with that at a time in their lives, especially in high school when the more trendy you are, the, like, cooler you seem to other people, or at least that's what you think in your own head. But I feel like it's something as simple as a skirt that can, like, really make you think, oh, I'm weird for wearing this, which that's not true, and I think that's also kind of how I got into theater is... Because whatever I was wearing, like, usually I loved my costumes, and they were these pretty dresses from, like, the 1400s or something. Like, we did Robin Hood, and I loved my dress, because it, it was this big fancy dress that I got to twirl around in. And then at school, I couldn't wear that, and then at home, I had no occasions to wear anything like that. And so I feel like just growing up and thinking, oh, I want to wear dresses, and then just feeling weird for that, it's just so harmful, and it really makes you think, oh, because I am a woman, and because I was born a girl, I'm weird? Mm -hmm. Because you see everybody else almost trying to emulate these masculine traits. You're like, wait, but I thought that I wanted to be like this. Is that not okay anymore? Are we not allowed to be girls anymore? Yeah, when I was little, I actually wore the, I loved my dresses, I wore all the frilliest dresses, I played with baby dolls, I was always all these different varieties of fairies. My mom always tells the funny story that whenever I came home from preschool, I would be like so relieved, I'm like, ah, thank God, I can put on my real fancy dresses now, (laughs) because I wouldn't wear them to preschool. And then somewhere along the way, that changed, and I don't really know where exactly, but I do think it was interesting, something Anna said about feeling like she had to wear, you know, these specific clothes to fit in. She couldn't wear these feminine clothes. In a lot of that media and a lot of those books, it's treated the opposite way. They're like, oh, this character is being defiant by wearing pants. All the other girls wear these short skirts and that sort of stuff. But that's not really because we have that idea of, oh, this is what is basic, so embedded in our head. We then try and do the opposite, and it becomes this whole struggle of the media is portraying this one thing, and it's an entirely different thing. And I think another part of it is another thing the media portrays as wrong is wearing short skirts and showing skin and all that sort of stuff like that. And that was why that's definitely something 
I mean, I don't love wearing super short skirts still just because that's like my own personal preference. But even when I do wear like slightly shorter skirts, I have that voice in my head that's like, this isn't something you should be doing. This is wrong. You should not be showing skin. You should not be doing that. And I think that's another thing that is very deeply embedded in that idea where it's like saying, oh, if you wear short skirts, if you have a larger chest, all that stuff, you're automatically lesser and you're wrong. And it's these things that for some of them, people might not be able to control them. You can't control what your what's your body looks like you can't control whether you have blonde hair or that sort of stuff and when that gets demonized it's demonizing a whole group of people and it just makes it a lot more complex to try and figure out who you are if so many versions of who you are are told to be wrong right and i think there's also this is not just something that comes from nowhere this is fully like encouraged by the media and just this idea, this super sexist idea of not all women can be good. There has to be some women that are bad or some women that are wrong or weird. And you'll see, like, it's it's just this idea of women having to be put down at every turn. And there's there's also this idea of, like, media that is aimed at girls is also wrong and then there's just so many things that like we don't think about all that much or at least I didn't think about until I took these classes that I was really like wait why is the term chick flicks a thing shouldn't they just be like teen movies or romance movies why are they specifically gendered because I've I've talked with like a couple guys and they've been like yeah I I, legally blonde is great and legally blonde is great and you should all watch it but um, (laughs) yes (laughs) but that's the thing it's because legally blonde it's a really entertaining movie but people like don't seek it out because it has a blonde main character and she was in a sorority in the movie and so people are like oh she's gonna be super superficial and I'm not gonna like the movie so I'm not even gonna bother and you miss out on so much when you think like that. And there's just, it just comes from society and from media. And letting that, like, control you is just so tiring. Yeah, and I actually have a specific quote from a book here. This is for my Intro to Women's Lit final project. I did a project where I collected a bunch of quotes from different books that I thought represented sort of girl and girl hate, that sort of thing. And then I put them on an art piece. But so I have a specific quote, and this is from the book Tell Me Three Things by, I believe, Julie Buxbaum. Yes. And it's about the main character. Her name is Jessie. She moves from Chicago to L.A. because her dad remarries. And she's having a hard time fitting in. And there's a lot of that I'm not like other girls mentality. And so this is a conversation she has with her best friend who's back in Chicago She's saying she doesn't fit in here. Everyone there is way skinnier than her. And then her best friend says, oh, no, don't tell me we have to do the whole you're not fat thing. The entire basis of our friendship is that we are not the kind of girls who have to do that for each other. And I think that quote is just really, I guess, almost disturbing in a lot of ways. Because first of all, the main character is almost expressing, well, she's expressing insecurity that she's not as that her body doesn't look the way the rest of the girls. There is a little bit of a concerning thing there where she is sort of demonizing that, saying, oh, these other girls are bad because they're skinnier than me, but she's also expressing insecurity. 
And then her friend is like, oh, we basically saying, oh, it's like other girls to have that insecurity. You can't have that insecurity. The whole reason we're friends is because we don't have those insecurities. And it's those insecurities that become this idea of, oh, being insecure about how you look, being insecure about what others think of you that are also very implicit in the idea of being feminine and the idea of being a girl is so much of it you have to pay attention or it seems like you're told you have to pay attention to everything that society thinks of you. But then when you do pay attention to that, then you're told you're superficial and you're told you're insecure and people look down on you for that. So it's this catch-22 where you're supposed to pay attention to that, but as soon as you vocalize, oh, here, this is something I'm insecure about, this is something that society's told me to pay attention to, then you're the problem and you're just like everyone else and you're just like this demonized version of femininity. And I think it's really problematic, the idea that insecurity is an aspect of femininity to be demonized because it's not an aspect of femininity and it's not something that should be demonized. And I've kind of noticed this trope over the years that these not like other girls characters are almost always like rude or they they're seen as like they don't they're not in touch with anybody else but themselves. And it is that thing of I don't have any insecurities because I'm not looking at anybody else because the only person I care about is myself. And to an extent that's a good mindset to have, to not be worried about what everybody else thinks about you and not let it consume you. But at the same time, when you let it get to that point where you're, like, being mean to people for, like, stupid things like, oh, you're blonde, so you must be mean, so I'm going to be mean before you have the opportunity to be mean to me, it gets to this point where it's just, like, that's not courageous. That's just being a rude person. And it's not healthy and it's not like something to look up to and I feel like the way that media goes a lot of the time is that those not like other characters or not like other girls characters are the ones that are supposed to be role models and that young girls are supposed to emulate and honestly I would rather emulate the like ditzy blonde or (laughs) ditzy blonde cheerleader that's like maybe not doing the best at school, but at least she's nice to everyone. Like, I would much rather be nice to everyone and be a genuinely, like, a kind person to be around than be, like, Harvard-bound and be mean. And I feel like you can have different priorities in life, but your priority shouldn't be putting everybody down so you can be on top. And I feel like that's that kind of mentality that, that, like promotes yeah and I think that's interesting because definitely for a long period of my life my mentality was like well no I have to be the smart one I have to be the intelligent one and that's what sort of puts girls into these different boxes of oh you can be the nice cheerleader who wears pink or you can be the smart one who wears full-length clothes and jeans and carries a book around and is brunette and doesn't talk to people. And real-life people aren't like that. You can have more than one thing. You can be the super nice cheerleader who's bubbly and wears pink and is popular and spends a lot of time at parties and still be a genius who got, like, a 1550 on your SAT. And I think putting it so you have to choose what box you want to be put in or choose, you know, these are the aspects that are me and then you can't have those other things is another really harmful thing that the media does 
where there's the different stereotypes, there's the different tropes of girls, and so many girls in media fall into one of those. You know, there's, like we said, the pretty cheerleader who is dumb. There's the loner who's not like other girls and is really smart. There's, you know, often the strong mechanic girl who had seven older brothers who taught her how to fight. That Mom's sort of always stuff. dead. Every single time <laughs> the mom is dead. And then there's also mean girls, which... And the mean girls are almost always seen in positions of power. Like, they're rich. They're, like, traditionally beautiful. And why is being mean valued in these, like, high school settings, in these fictional, like, these... I'm basically talking about mean girls. That's that's pretty much what I'm trying to get at, but... The girls in Mean Girls, the popular girls, the plastics, they're not nice to people. And they're just popular because they're the most attractive, maybe? Or they just happen to be popular and everybody accepted it and now no one questions it? And I feel like that movie really does kind of bring to light, like, why do all of these girls need to be fighting each other constantly? And I feel like that was one of the first pieces of media that really made me question that, of, like, why do women have to be pit against each other constantly? And I think another thing is when you look at all that media and all those things, the thing you said about, oh, it's the girls in power, why is why can't a girl be in power and be nice? Why can't a girl be in power and be a good person? It's always there at the top of the food chain, and they got there by being cutthroat, and they'll, you know, be super mean to anyone. And then whereas it can vary depending on the movie, but in a lot of, if you look at in that same genre of movies, there's the nerdy girl. And if it's in those movies, it's, it can be in the same movie, there's a super evil head cheerleader girl. And then there's a jock guy who's super nice, and the nerdy girl has a crush on him, and all the girls have a crush on him. And it's like, oh, well, he's a nice guy. Well, why can't the popular girl be a nice girl, too? Why can't someone in power be a, who's female be a good person? And it becomes this thing of, well, even when you look in the workforce, you know, if a woman is in power, she's a boss. She's, she's bossy. <laughs> she's, you know, loud. She's controlling, all that sort of stuff. And then men has those same traits, and they're seen positively. And I think it even starts in those movies where if a girl isn't, quiet and mousy she's bad right and you kind of there's this term like i'm i'm a girl boss why does girl need to be included anywhere in that statement shouldn't you just be a boss if you're the boss of your company you're not the girl boss you're just the boss yeah and i think that's kind of sometimes the joke with girl boss is it's this term it's this term that's often used to describe a very specific type of sort of white female boss who's a girl boss but she's also putting down other women and not really being supportive of women in the way you would hope that someone who got to that power place and calls himself a feminist is and I think that's often the way the term is sort of used to be like a criticism of those exact concepts and I think that's a one reason it's such a great term right I believe the phrase is gaslight gatekeep girl boss which like this, the second part, I feel like, is the most interesting. Gatekeep. You're saying, it, it is saying, this, this status is exclusive and usually exclusive to just the rich white minority, or minority, majority. Um, 
but it's saying like it's again that position of power that is delegated only to the strong women and the women that display those masculine traits those traditionally masculine traits of being rude and loud and like it I feel like there's a lot of especially like action movie characters where they'll just make the meanest character slap a ponytail on it and then just be like okay this is our female representation she's very mean she has she does not say a nice thing the entire movie she ends up with the male main character because obviously she does and she's wearing like short shorts the entire time which I mean, I love some short shorts, but, like, girl, you're in the jungle. You're going to cut up your legs. <laughs> yeah, and meanwhile, all the men are wearing, like, full camo and all that sort of stuff. I think you really sort of hit the nail on the head. We've been talking a lot throughout this about more teenage views of femininity and girls and all that sort of stuff. And obviously, that's what's most relevant to us, and that's what our podcast is about. But it's when that mindset gets into the real world and the corporate world and all that sort of stuff that it becomes the most harmful that it becomes this thing of, oh, you have to tear down other women to get up here. And then also when women get to those spots, it's often other women who are saying those things like, oh, she slept her way to the top to get there. Oh, she has this. That's why she got there. All that sort of stuff where women are sort of conditioned to believe, you know, well, often there's only the one woman on the corporate board. And instead of thinking, why shouldn't there be more? Sometimes people will just be thinking why I'm how they can tear down the one woman that's in that spot to get up there. And so I think that can really, that whole thing that's built into people's minds of here's how femininity is wrong, here's how I should be against other girls, that then can just be really harmful in society and is holding feminism as a whole back. Right, and we've kind of touched on the male gaze a little bit, and um, if you don't know, the male gaze is kind of the way that media is framed to be almost like you're looking, the the movie camera is almost like, a male head, let's say. And so you're seeing, you'll get those like close-up shots of a girl's legs and you'll pan up the body and it's like in the middle of Transformers. It's like, (laughs) why? Why do we need Megan Fox like fixing a car (laughs) in the middle of this movie? Why do we need that? We don't. Yeah, I've seen a really interesting thing like this was between two movies about the same character. One was directed by a man, one was directed by a woman, and this was Harley Quinn between Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey. And you can literally see the difference between the camera shots. Because in the camera shots in Suicide Squad, which, disclaimer, I have seen neither of these movies, <laughs> um, where she's sort of sexualized a lot. The camera is literally focused. The center is her chest. The center, so you can really see her full body, the center is there. In Birds of Prey, in the same sort of similar shots, the center is her head, her face. Because you're looking at her, you're not looking at her body. And I think that's a really interesting, just straight out way of saying, wow, this is how, there's literally a male gaze right there in our movies. But it can also be um, a more, I guess, theoretical thing, not theoretical, but more something women often have in their heads of look, you know, you look in the mirror, you think, okay, how would a man see this? I'm looking at this through men's eyes. How would they th- view what I'm wearing? How would they view my hair? All that sort of stuff. Sort of thinking of yourself. You have to put yourself through this idea of, okay, there's two sides to this. One can be, are my shorts too short? What will men think of this? And also, oh, do I look good enough? Do I look good for the men? And that can be a really toxic thing to have in your head all the time. Right. And I, I was just thinking about Harley Quinn. When the movie 
when uh, the first Suicide Squad movie came out um, and Harley Quinn's character was introduced, her costume was really, really popular as a Halloween costume. And it was a costume that was very... It, it showed a lot of skin. And we've touched on this a little bit. It is not inherently bad to show skin. It is the way that it is marketed and uh, Margot Robbie, who plays Harley Quinn, has said on occasion that she did not like that costume because she felt that she was uncomfortable in it. She didn't like how much skin she had to be showing. And that costume was everywhere, every Halloween for years. And it was interesting because it was not only marketed towards adult women, which Margot Robbie is an adult woman when she played that role. It was in a movie for adults. But it was also marketed towards children. And so you would go out on Halloween night and see little girls wearing the little short shorts. And the it was just... It was this image of a movie that they can't even watch because they're too young for it. And they're wearing these clothing choices that are in a movie that is so extremely um biased towards the male gaze and then when the second movie came out you didn't see nearly as many um you didn't see nearly as many of those harley quinn costumes because they were more covered up she was wearing high-waisted pants and it was just interesting just to see the way that the like those costumes had been marketed and bought. Like, they were popular costumes. People joke, it's like, are you going to be Harley Quinn for the third year in a row? Because it was not just that, like, year. It was the next couple years. But it's just showing these little girls, hey, this is the more popular thing. It's more popular to dress in this way that is for the male gaze than to dress in a way for the female gaze. And I, I personally think that women should be dressing for themselves and how they want to look and how they feel. And if they want to wear short shorts, that is their prerogative. But if they don't think that they should have to, they shouldn't have to. Yeah, and I think while we're talking about Harley Quinn, I can bring up another superhero um, on the opposite side of the marvel dc (laughs) divide i'm a marvel girl i love marvel we probably don't want to get me started on marvel but black widow is one character where she's constantly wearing these super tight fitting bodysuits and in some she even has like a zipper that's like zipped down to like where you can see her nice v-neck and i do think in later movies they did hear this criticism and they did a better job of covering her up of giving her a realistic thing but you don't see any really men wearing those tight fitting catsuit type things hawkeye is probably the he's a very similar sort of role as black widow but he's always wearing black t-shirts they're pretty tight he'll be wearing black t-shirts black pants and they're not like tight fitting you can't like see the outline of his chest through them like his muscles all that sort of stuff and so you often also see women pose in these specific ways where oh they're there's the very famous shot of the Avengers from the first Avenger movie. They all look really cool. They all pose great. And then Black Widow's there, like, pose with a specific way so you can see, like, all the parts of her body that men, like, perfectly on display. <laughs> and that's always just really 
not <laughs> the right image for someone who I think is one of the coolest, most kick-butt female characters. And there's also Scarlet Witch, another female character who, again, they've revamped her costume recently and it's much better. But for the most part, for most of it, she's literally wearing a corset top and leggings and then like a trench coat over it, which is just not practical, particularly not for fighting. And they're also all wearing heels, which is the least practical thing ever for fighting. I can barely walk in heels. I will walk downstairs in heels and I will twist my ankle and I will nearly die. I do not think, um, I'm sure Black Widow is incredibly more impressive and agile and graceful than me, but even with her, I think she would probably be able to fight much better if she didn't have to worry about twisting an ankle. <laughs> right, and I, I think there's this, there's this opposite end of the spectrum where people are like, oh, women shouldn't wear short shorts, women shouldn't wear high heels, women shouldn't wear makeup because they're lying to men, which is quite the hot take, sir. <laughs> but um, I feel like my my rule of thumb, as I've kind of expressed throughout this episode, is wear whatever you want, but costume directors, make it make, it make sense. Like, again, if you're in a jungle, wear some long sleeves, dude. You're gonna, like, get a bunch of splinters. Or if you're in a fight... Don't wear heels. Just these simple things that men's costumes don't, like, represent. And they don't... That's just not a problem. Because the men are almost always covered up in such a different way. And in those superhero costumes, yeah, the men will be wearing these, like, almost similar bodysuits, but they'll have a crew neck top. They won't have this V. And then also, I think I haven't watched, like, a Marvel movie and specifically looked out for the material used in the costumes, but I feel like I've noticed that the men's, like, bodysuits, spandexy things are almost always more, like, thick than the women's. It's like you've got this element of material that you're not going to see anything with it. Mm-hmm. All you're looking at is this costume that is representative of the way that it looked in the comics. And I think they are still trying to represent the comics with the female costumes, but the female costumes were problematic in the comics. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it is just, like, what's realistic for the character. Like, if for Elle Woods from Legally Blonde, who loves pink, who loves revealing clothes, if she's going out in the jungle and she's wearing, like, a pink, like super pink frilly outfit that's not super practical. I will believe that. But if you're telling me Natasha Romanoff, one of the best spies in the world who's super functionally minded, is going to be walking into that same jungle wearing, <laughs> you know, short shorts and a tank top, that's just not believable. You have to think about what's realistic for the character. So I think probably the <laughs> moral with that would just be you know, women don't, it's okay if women want to wear feminine things, but also try and think about that from the functional perspective and the character perspective, not just what male audiences want to see in those characters. And I feel like that just kind of ties back into the, the whole summary of this episode of just, there shouldn't be all these rules for women. Women should be in charge of the way that they are portrayed and the way that they are seen. And the way that they want to be. And when society and the media is controlled by these 
male forces and these male point of views, it creates harmful um, role models and stereotypes for young girls to look up to. Um, and it's just it's just this cycle that just keeps getting deeper and deeper until we end up where we are today, where things are turning around, which is great to see. And that's one of the things that I love about, like, new children's media. Sometimes I'll check on it and I'll be like, oh, wow, they did this cool thing where now this character has, again, like, a costume redesign to make it a little bit more reasonable. And just kind of realizing that women shouldn't have to adhere to all of these, like, outdated rules. They should get to express themselves in a way that's honorable. And I think it starts with what we're consuming as children. So especially books, like not thinking I need to be not like other girls, thinking I want to be the best girl I can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think all those internalized misogyny ideas and those internalized ideas of the male gaze and girl-on-girl hate and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't come from nowhere. And it's not like girls... It's not like moms are passing 100% of that all down to their kids. That's society. That's the media, specifically, especially, that everyone's consuming, that it's just being force-fed. It's in it. It's so implicit in it. And that's where all this internalized stuff is, because it's not just internalized in each of us. It's internalized. It's embedded in our society, and that's what makes it so hard to get away from. And that's why it's something we have to think really critically about and think very carefully about when we're consuming media. What message is this media giving? What ideas is this giving me? What ideas is it portraying in its characters? It might be saying one thing, but what is it saying underneath that, you know, undertones? And why it's so important for us to consider that carefully when we're creating media and creating things and making sure that we're portraying the best, an idea of femininity that doesn't demonize part of it that doesn't say part of it is better than one other you know if you want to be if you want to be bookish and you want to not you want to wear you know loose jeans and t-shirts and not care about your hair that is a hundred percent fine and if you want to be super girly and wear tight fitting pink fluffy clothes and wear lots of makeup that is also 100% fine and anything in any mixture across that continuum or that spectrum with any mixture of different traits is perfectly fine and that's I think what we need to have in our media and in our society giving that idea to young girls and allowing all females anyone anywhere on the gender spectrum to have that idea right so I feel like that's a good place to end our episode uh yeah, I, I, I really had a good time talking and thinking through all of these different concepts and just I feel like I've just taken away be a good person. That's 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 what you should strive for. Yes. Um, thank you for having me, Anna. Of course. Thank you, Natalie, for coming. Um, and thank you, listeners, for listening. Uh, <laughs> this has been episode one of The Balancing Act.